what I would really encourage people to do is if you decide to do something like this, say you listen to this and you decide you want to set up a podcast, decide for how long you're deciding and decide that this is the best decision you ever made. And it doesn't have to be long. I'm going to do a podcast for six months, say. And then whenever you hear your brain go, oh God, if you hadn't started this, you could have gone on with your writing or whatever. Then no, this is what we decided. This was a great decision. This gives me energy. It rejuvenates what I love about science. But loving on that decision so that we're not constantly remaking it really makes things easier. Welcome to the 53rd episode of the Struggling Scientist podcast. We are a podcast by scientists, for scientists, anyone science adjacent, and perhaps even hobbyists. My name is Susanna, and I'm here with my co-host, Jero. Hi. We have another very interesting episode today. It is going to be a podcast crossover. And that means that we're talking with the host of another podcast, namely Dr. Vicky Burns from the PhD Life Coach podcast. As the name suggests, she is a PhD Life Coach. And as a crossover episode, we are going to be talking about a subject that is of interest for both of our podcasts. Namely, the struggles that come with getting into science communication. We are very interested in what this conversation is going to bring. So let's start. Welcome, Vicky. And thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. It's very nice to have you as a guest. And we are, of course, very interested in talking about the struggles that come with science communication. But... Honestly, also the struggles that come with doing anything new, different and challenging. But before we get started with that, we would like to ask you to introduce yourselves to our listeners. Who are you? Do you have any fun or weird hobbies? And how did you become a PhD life coach? Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. So my name is Vicky Benz. And until summer 2022, I was a professor at the University of Birmingham in the UK where I'd been since I was an undergraduate student. So I went to do my degree there and somehow stayed on to do my PhD, which was never really the intention, but it was how it worked out. And I stayed. And one way or another, with a little bit of luck and a little bit of judgment, I guess, um, I was there 25 years in the end. And through that time, I did some science communication and I did some coaching. And the time came when I decided that I'd and done what I'd wanted to do in academia and I had been loving the coaching and I'd really seen the need for coaching both amongst PhD students but also among um, academics so I coach people all the way up to full professor and so I left last summer and started PhD life coach um, so that's what I do full-time now. Oh that sounds like a lot of fun. It's amazing. I love it. And I get to sort of stay involved with the academic world and use mm. the things I learned during my career but in a way that's very different, learning how to do podcasts and all that <laughs> fun stuff as well. That's definitely um, very different, yes. <laughs> it is, it is. And in terms of fun and weird hobbies, I I love the circus. So I have been doing aerial silks since five years now, six years now, something like that. So for anyone who doesn't know, it's the one my mum calls climbing the curtains, where it's like fabric hanging from mm -hmm. the ceiling and you kind of climb up and do twiddly things um and I love it so that's my fun and weird hobby very oh, cool that's a new one <laughs> that's that's not one we heard before yeah, it no. shocks people it's like what do you do in your spare time I climb three meters in the air and hang upside down <laughs> yes well. and maybe why we're interested in science communication 
Um, so, of course, with the podcast, we do a lot of science communication and we have found that it's a real passion of ours. We sort of rolled into it. We started out because Jadon really wanted to make a podcast and I really, really love talking about science. But yeah, it's, it's this real cool thing that we get to do next to our PhD. And uh, we have also a real passion of helping others getting started with it. Mostly online and on social media. And that's our, that's our specialty, of course. So that's how we do science communication, mostly via the podcast and via social media. You make it sound quite straightforward that you just thought you'd like to do a podcast and started doing it. So was it that straightforward or did you have concerns and things along the way? Well, honestly, I think one of the things that the PhD taught me the most was that you can teach yourself anything. You can you can dive into a topic, you can read all about it and you can do it. You're smart. You you. You can do anything you want in the world, basically. Uh, and it also teaches you how, how to find information and how to, how to take that in and how to start rolling with it. And that has been super helpful also in this area um, where, we, where we just are self-taught, of course, mostly by YouTube videos, watching about how to edit podcasts and how to do everything. So yeah, it is actually quite easy to get started with it. Uh, and it also involved a lot of experimenting, I would say, with what works and what doesn't work. And that's also something we, of course, love from our background as PhD students. So, uh, yeah, it worked out quite well, I have to say. Yeah, I would just add maybe that the one thing that we were sort of hesitant a little bit about in the beginning was how to bring the podcast forward to sort of our network, because we originally only started by putting it on LinkedIn. It's like, hey, guys, by the way, we make this. Hmm. Um, and from there it was like, okay, but should we be a little bit more confident about it and bring it forward like that? Also on Twitter, for example, neither of us really had Twitter or Instagram or anything like that. So it was a progress of a process of learning to, to put yourself forward a little bit, I guess. Yeah, definitely getting your podcast out there and to, to people that, that was the most difficult part, but again, also something you can learn in a way. So I would say anybody can do it what we do. <laughs> I love that because so often when I'm working with clients, they talk about the a barrier to doing something being not knowing how to do it. I've never done this before. I don't even know where to start. I don't know anything. And I love the way you've sort of flipped that around and gone, no, I don't. That's true. And that, but that doesn't mean I can't do it. That doesn't mean that this is too difficult for me. What's also true is mm. that I know how to find things out and mm. I know how to learn to do things. And that's one of the techniques we often use in coaching is if you're having a thought that might hold you back, so the thought, I don't even know how to do this, perhaps, you ask if it's true. And sometimes maybe it is true. And then the, the sort of approach is, okay, what if it's true and that's okay? Mm. And what if something else is true too? And in this case, the fact that you had confidence in your ability to learn things and that you knew where you could find resources and you were willing to spend some time in that bit where you don't know um, and you can see it as an experiment just feels like such a positive thing to also believe that then kind of helps you overcome those barriers. So I love the way you did that. I think that's amazing. Yes. <laughs> well, it's almost like we find it kind of fun to learn new skills uh so for example i also learned website building and i learned how to edit podcasts and i learned to do so many different things just for this podcast basically <laughs> which grew into so much more and I, yeah i really enjoy learning new things and 
things like accounting, there was a little bit less fun. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with Google and the admin stuff as well. Yeah. <laughs> now you guys are starting to help other people get into science communication. I think. Yep. Yeah, that's our goal. How's that? How's that going? What barriers do you see people talking about? Well, it's often that people don't know where to start. That's like a really, really big one. Or that they don't feel like it would be interesting enough what they want to talk about. Um, and that's also something we struggled with in the beginning, definitely. Yeah, no, for sure. I agree with that. Um, it's also like, I want to say, it seems like a lot of people put their stuff forward. They do try, if, if they do, but then they don't see the results immediately. Like their their tweet or whatever doesn't go viral. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, this was much harder than I thought. And then they maybe tone it down a little bit or maybe end up quitting or after a certain mm-hmm. amount of time, something along those lines as well, I think. Yeah, there are a lot of people who start very enthusiastically and then... Hopes Wait. and dreams dashed. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, it's something I've had to coach myself through that, you know, you find yourself, you're celebrating 10 downloads. You're celebrating mm-hmm. the fact that you've published five episodes and all of this. And, you know, especially as people that are used to being quite high achieving in our mm-hmm. normal lives, um, that starting right at the beginning and understanding that it can take time and there's going to be times when not many people are listening or when you don't feel like doing the episode or whatever it is it it does take that sort of persistence I guess and that understanding Mm. that that it will take some time how did you kind of coach yourself through that when I'm assuming you didn't leap I mean you have billions of listeners now but I'd assume you didn't leap straight to having tons and tons of listeners so how did you like coach yourselves during that how did you keep going um, well, one really big thing, we also indeed agree that consistency is such an important thing. You you need to keep going. Um, and it really helped that we were with two people instead of one because we could sort of help each other through the difficult parts. And when I wasn't feeling getting prepared for an episode, Jaylon did a bit more or the other way around. And that really, really helped. Um, and yeah, you... I I personally think metrics are also kind of fun. You see it growing up and about going up and you should enjoy that. But it can also be really, really difficult when you go, see it going down for, for a month. But yeah, I mean, in the end, you need to look at the bigger picture and what you're working towards and, and keep the big goal in mind. And of course, we're also doing it um, to help other PhD students or, or other scientists, basically, uh, when the days are a bit harder or their experiments failed that we want to talk about either fun science or help them get through their difficult day by uh, entertaining them, basically. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So that's also a big goal that we keep in mind. Yeah. And I think also when we started out, uh, we were very happy with like those first 10 downloads. Of, we were celebrating that. Mm. We didn't expect it to, to, to do as well as it did at all. Like it was just sort of a, a hobby that we were putting our sort of money into buying some equipment to get started with, which even that is... You don't really need to do that at the beginning if you really want to get started. But it was just like, we're doing this because we want to, not necessarily because we expect it to do well or anything like that. We just did, did it because we wanted to. And even when it was sort of hard, it's like, but we still want to do it. We still want to be mm-hmm. consistent. We still want to keep doing it, I guess. Yeah. I love that. That idea of keeping the bigger picture, the sort of remembering why you decided to do this in the first place. 
at the front of your mind is a really good way to get through those times where you're like, oh my goodness, nobody's listening or fewer people, you know, fewer people are listening to this episode than last episode. Am I getting worse? Keeping that bigger picture of why, why you're doing it can help loads. I also love that you're talking about sort of relying on each other there as well too, because often people see, I hear my clients talk about relying on others almost as a weakness, almost as a, I should be able to be independent. Sometimes my friend has to help me, but, you know, I should be able to do this independently. And I'm a big believer that actually putting that stuff around you is part of being strong and independent, that somebody who's strong and independent builds bridges with people who help them to be even stronger and even more effective. And that actually setting up that scaffolding is part of working well. I'd love to hear your guys' perspective on that. Yeah, well, we lean so much on each other's strengths also. I mean, Jadon is, is basically responsible for our social media and he works some real magic that I would absolutely not be able to do. And I edit podcasts and that's something he would absolutely not be able to do. do. And in that sense, we, we are a real team and we couldn't do it without each other. Uh, I think that's also a little bit different than what I ever experienced during like the academic world, because in our in our group we didn't really work as teams on certain projects. We all had our own project, and then you're basically alone responsible for that. So it's also been really nice to be able to be so much part of a team. I would say. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I I also say like I think it's more along the lines of no one is really expecting anything out of this podcast in that sense there's no real expectation to meet up meet, meet a certain milestone meet a certain goal it's because of that we can sort of experiment a little bit with what we do and try out new things start a newsletter uh start a website a web shop and stuff like that and all that also adds on top of what we're doing that and keeps it fun for us and uh, in terms of leveraging each other's skills we pick up new skills along the way as well that we can sort of complement each other with so yeah. We are very excited to be able to introduce you to our new sponsor, Jenny AI. Not only does Jenny make our podcast possible, it also makes our life as scientists so much easier. Jenny is an all-in-one writing assistant that has everything that we have been missing in other AI tools. Yes, first off, unlike other AI tools, it actually finds accurate information in papers and cites its sources. It does not make things up and only uses real verified information that you can then also check the source of. Second, it's a writing assistant trained for academic papers and helps you write your paper by suggesting the next sentence or the end of your sentence. Or, if you get really stuck, you can ask it to write an entire paragraph. Completely removing the writer's block I so often struggle with when I don't know the right words to make my point. It helped me write an introduction to a paper I've been struggling with in half an hour. It even suggests which papers to cite. You can add your own library or search the entire internet for papers. Just type the add symbol to easily add a reference and it gets automatically added to the reference list. And the last thing we absolutely love is that it has an AI chatbot that can see your document and give feedback on how to improve your manuscript. Or you can ask it questions, such as what are the potential therapeutic benefits of dot dot dot, and it will search through the papers for you for the answer. I can only say that my stress level has gone down significantly since I started using Jenny. Check out the free version now at thestrugglingscientist.com slash Jenny. And if you love it, use the code SCIENCE20 for a 20% discount. Anyway, I feel like I've asked you loads of questions. Have you got <laughs> questions for me? Um, yeah, well, we actually had, of course, quite some experiences during making this podcast. 
And we also had some comments from other people that didn't always understand why we love doing this so much or why we wanted to do it. Um, and then there's, of, of course, always the big thing that you already are doing a PhD. So why would you want to add more on top of that? So we actually had some comments from people that we heard. Mm. Not necessarily like in a, they didn't mean it ever in a negative way. That's really important. Um, but they can be sort of demotivating. And we would love to hear your perspective on them. Uh, and I mean, we can explain how we got through it, of course. But we also would love to hear what you would recommend if we would still be in that stage. I would be very happy to. Just one thing with coaching. So I rarely recommend what okay. people should do. <laughs> but what I w would do and what I can talk with you about today is what things I would get the person to consider because mm. you know you better than anybody else I could say yes you should do this or you should do that but I don't know you I don't know other people I don't know my clients as well as they know themselves and so um, what I will do is if you tell me some statements I'll tell you the sorts of things that I would want you to ask yourselves or that the people you work with could ask themselves to figure out what they want to do in those situations yes Okay, so the first one is also something that we quite often hear from people who might want to start with it or uh, from colleagues or whatever, is like, why would anyone want to listen to you in case of this podcast or read your blog? Or wh why would my topic be interesting enough to uh, put out there? And that's something I think a lot of people starting out with, with science communication struggle with, especially if you talk about your own science or about something that's dear and near to your heart of course definitely and our brains are really good at that aren't they they're really good at throwing up questions and one of the things I always encourage my clients to do is notice when your brain is asking you questions and just take a second to answer it because one of the unhealthiest things we do is just throw around questions what if no one listens? What if I'm not interested enough? What if this? What if this? What if this? What if this? And it sort of all spins in your head and takes up lots of cognitive space um, and leaves, you know, leaves you feeling quite anxious quite often. And so I thought, okay, so you're asking, why would anybody listen to you? Why would they? Let's just answer that question. And then people start going, well, you know, I mean, I think it's interesting. And other people study this topic too. And actually, I don't think there's anybody out there really talking about it. And I, you know, I would try really hard to make it interesting. And, you know, maybe everyone wouldn't want to listen to it. And so you start to answer your own question. What if no one listens? Well, okay, what if? What do we do if no one listens? And then we start to look at it as a problem to be solved rather than as a reason not to do it. So that's where I'd really encourage people to start the other thing I would always encourage is to remember that the things that seem easiest and most obvious to you are often the things that are super interesting to other people we often really downplay our strengths downplay the things we're good at because we think they're easy and so they're just no big deal you guys know all this stuff about cholesterol and diabetes and all this stuff and you don't think it, but you guys do science communication so you know it's interesting but a lot of people like, oh, well, yeah, but that's all, you know, they'll have done stuff like this. You know, they'll, you know, if they biology A level, they know the basics and the rest is just details or whatever. But actually, the stuff you take for granted is super interesting for people who don't. So that's the other thing I get people to reflect on is what's the stuff you're taking for granted that people know? Because there's 
tons and tons and tons and you just you just think it's normal yeah yeah I think a way I also always thought about it is like would I be interested in listening to listening to this Mm. because in the end especially with what we do we make a podcast for other scientists of course so we are our own audience basically which really helped like would I enjoy if I would listen to this? And then if the answer is yes, I'm like, oh, we made a great episode. That's great. (laughs) And I think maybe expanding on that a little bit, I also think about it like, did we have this problem? Did like, if if we're having this problem or like we're thinking about this as a question, would someone appreciate an answer to this? Would I appreciate that answer to it? Sort of like we've tackled um, topics along the lines of having problems with your PhD and stuff like that. So if if I experience that problem, would someone else want that information as well? Um, and that's how we also share share via the podcast. Definitely. I think consulting in with yourself is a great shout. The other thing you can do is consult in with past you. Mm-hmm. So especially for something like you guys are doing, um, and for me, I'm just casting my mind back further, but you know, your fifth year PhD students, thinking back, would I have wanted to hear this in second year? Would I have wanted to hear this in my first month of doing a PhD? Because again, often the stuff you take for granted now would have made a massive difference back then when you didn't know that, um, when you weren't familiar with those things. So yeah, consulting with your past self. I hear a lot of people talking about how they do the things they do now because they want to create what they wish had existed Mm, when they had needed it. No, for sure. I definitely agree with that. And that's also one of the reasons why we've we've been diving a little bit more into like productivity tools as well, because mm-hmm. I wish I knew about some of them in my first and second year that made would have made a big difference. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so, yeah, maybe then moving on to our sort of next statement or problem that we sort mm-hmm. of faced. Um, I guess it comes in sort of the sense of, uh, but are you not busy enough with the PhD? So if you sort of have enough free time to be doing this, couldn't you spend that more on your PhD and stuff like that? Should you not focus on your science? Um, And does doing this sort of take away time and cognitive mental energy from your PhD? And I I sort of see it as like, I personally have always felt it like like a weekend. Like we have a weekends to rest and recover. And I also see this, yes, it's still kind of work and it's still fun and stuff like that. But it's also, it takes you away from the, that, that thing for a bit, but it brings you back sort of fresh again to, to approach it with different eyes, with fresh eyes and tackle the problem. At least that's how I felt about it. Definitely, definitely. But I think it's a really important question to ask. And again, it's a really important question to take seriously and not just to have as a worry, because for some students, it might not be the right thing to do. So some PhD students are working for money. They are doing tutoring in their departments. They're doing lots of other things as well. And so it may be that some students, especially if they're people, you know, I'm someone who generally takes on too many things. It's something I've really worked on, but I tend to be sort of, oh my God, yeah, I could do that. I could do that. I could do that. And, you know, so sometimes actually just stopping and going, okay, well, is it too much is is a really good question to ask because for some people it might be. But whenever you're making a decision, what I encourage people to do is to think about um, what are your reasons for doing it and what are your reasons for not doing it? So maybe for some people doing a podcast would be because it would be fun. It might be because people might want to listen to it. It might be to build a career. It might be because someone's told them they should do science communication. It might be because they think they're rubbish at presentation skills and they want to get better at it. 
Um, and then the flip side, reasons for not doing it might be I'm too scared. No one will want to listen to me. Or they might be I'm in a phase of my PhD where I really want to focus in on my writing. And what you get to do then is you get to look at your two lists of reasons and decide which ones come from the best version of you, which ones come from the version of you that you want to be. So because the truth is, there's no right answer in this. There's no, yes, you definitely should or no, you definitely shouldn't. You get to pick and then you get to decide that you love that decision. So that's how I always get people when they're thinking about decisions to work through that process. The other thing I'd say, especially in response to the busyness thing, is whenever you take on something new, I'd encourage people to really mindfully decide, if I do this, what am I not doing? Because all of us fill 24 hours one way or another. Some of that's sleeping. Some of it's messing around on social media in a non-productive way. <laughs> some of it's doing social media in a productive way. Some of it's seeing our friends. It's exercising. It's doing our work, whatever it is. And so even if people consider themselves to be someone who don't do very much, you're filling all those hours, even if it's with Netflix. Um and so saying, okay, which bit of my week am I swapping out? Realistically, how much time is this? And what am I stopping doing? And for some people, it would be, oh, if I do this, I'm going to have to do less work on my PhD because everything else is already stretched fully. And is that what I want? I don't know. Is that for the best? Not sure. Um, other people would be like, you know what? Tuesday nights, I just watch Netflix and I'm happy to swap Netflix for podcast. That's fine. Just means I don't watch TV on a Tuesday whatever day you do your things. So properly thinking through, what am I not going to do if I do this? And will that net either improve or keep my life where it is, is another way to, to ponder through those decisions. I think for us, it was definitely a weekend and evening thing. Um, <laughs> it, we definitely had to give up some other things. It was our main our main hobby and every evening after dinner we would go back to our computer and work on it. It did help me also survive the PhD almost during the difficult times. I've had this other thing that still kept my love for science alive, basically. So in that sense it was really helpful, but there were definitely things we had to give up, especially once we started taking it more seriously than we perhaps had to. Because of course we, we went a bit crazy with it. On the other hand, I think also the PhD is a time where you are supposed to discover what you love and what you want to do in the future. And it's not bad to experiment a little bit with that and just try try it out. And I wish, uh, especially in, a, in our Dutch PhD system where we are fully paid workers to be 36 hours in the lab basically and then right after that, there there aren't there isn't a lot of focus on development and courses and things like that. And I wish it was a bit more accepted to develop yourself in other ways during the PhD because not everybody is going to end up in academia. Not everybody is going to end up as a PI. And it's okay to spend some of your time also developing perhaps science communication and finding out that that's what you want to do with your life or teaching and finding out that that works great with you. And at the same time, it sort of develops this guilt at the same time that you're not in the lab and that you're not writing your paper that I, I really think shouldn't be there and it should be a bit more accepted that that you're also doing this other thing that is still science-related, still very cool and interesting, but um, it's a bit like 
different than than the standard stuff. Yeah, and there's, there's so much in what you just said that I want to respond to. I think that's brilliant. And it actually relates back to something J-Ron said earlier about it energizing you as well. Um, so when you're thinking about what would I stop doing in order to do this, you can also think about what does it add to my life? And for some people, especially people who identify as more introverted and those sorts of things, it might actually be a net drain that actually you love doing it and you want to do it, but you have to allow then for the fact that you'll also need some time to rest and recover from that sort of sociability of recording podcasts and that kind of thing. Um, whereas certainly for me, I'm a pretty extroverted person. I get energy from doing this sort of stuff. I will get more work done after talking to you guys today than I would have done if I hadn't talked to you because I come off these calls just like, yay, this is exciting, (laughs) and then get on with all my things. So thinking about what it adds to your life as well, I think is really important. I think your point about training, so well made. You know, it's one of the big sort of hidden, I guess, to some extent, things of academia is that this relatively small percentage of PhD students that will go on into academic careers, you know, is it's reason it's pretty shocking in many ways um, how low those percentages are. And spending some of that time figuring out what types of things do you like doing, not even necessarily what career you might do after a PhD, but what types of things would you want it to involve? Would you want it to involve this sort of public facing communication stuff? Would you want it to involve teaching? Would you want it to involve working in teams, all those sorts of things? Um, I think any opportunity to try out those different things and have those experiences is brilliant. And I mean, you guys, whatever you go on and apply for after this, whether you're Go carry on working for yourselves, then obviously that's the thing. But working for other people, you're going to have so much to talk about and so many, you know, skills and experiences that you can bring to that. I think it's amazing. And then the last thing you talked about guilt and the guilt of I should be doing something else. I always encourage my clients to be really careful when they hear the word should. If you hear your brain saying the word should, really start examining those thoughts. Because this really comes back to that point that I briefly made about really loving your decision. So what I would really encourage people to do is if you decide to do something like this, say you listen to this and you decide you want to set up a podcast, um, decide for how long you're deciding and decide that this is the best decision you ever made. And it doesn't have to be long. I'm going to do a podcast for six months, say. That's what I'm deciding. I'm deciding I'm going to do, you guys do fortnightly, don't you? I'm going to do fortnightly podcasts for six months. That's what I'm deciding. This is the best decision ever. And then whenever you hear your brain go, oh God, if you hadn't started this, you could have gone on with your writing or whatever. Yeah, no, this is what we decided. This was a great decision. This gives me energy. It rejuvenates what I love about science. I've still got time to do my writing. This was an amazing decision. And then at the end of that period, you still get that opportunity to reflect and you still get to go, I love that decision. I'm so glad I did that. But you know what? I need to tone this down to monthly. Or you know what? That needs to be a first season and we're going to have a break before we start the next season. And you still get to reflect, but it's this constant beating ourselves up about whether we made the right decision or not and feeling guilty that we didn't make the other decision or feeling like we missed out. So if you decide not to start a podcast, you have to remind yourself that that was the best. I'm so glad I put my PhD first. I'm so glad I gave myself the space to write my PhD and I didn't burden myself with having to think about that stuff, that you love that decision too. And in six months, you decide, do I want to start a podcast now? So we can still revisit it the other way around 
but loving on that decision so that we're not constantly remaking it really makes things easier. Yeah, I can imagine that actually. <laughs> uh, so something we we also heard as a joke at some point during a during I think it was drinks from work or whatever uh, was saying so so are you influencers now, which was a joke for sure. It also kind of felt like being made fun of almost for mm -hmm. wanting to do this. Um, they didn't mean it badly for sure. But yeah, it sort of invalidates what you're doing. How how would you recommend go working through that? Or like, yeah. So I have a question. So let's put ourselves back in that situation. Mm -hmm. And somebody says to you, sorry, are you influencers then? What are you making that mean? Yeah, I, I would not necessarily think of ourselves as influencers, at least back that back at that uh, time point. I don't think we were influencers. Not really sure we, we really are influencers right now in some shape, way or form. It sort of depends on what that description, I guess, is. But it's sort of like, I think we were thinking about it like sort of the, the YouTube influencers, those people who just... Um, well, it comes with a negative connotation, yeah, though. Exactly. Like, yeah. It was also said Tell in that, me that. What's the negative connotation? What does it mean about you if you're an influencer? Well, we we like we like it now. <laughs> we have accepted moment, it so now. To, at that moment, and I'm going to ask you in a minute how you came to then accept it. But in that moment where you felt, Susanna, you said about um, being made that it felt like you were being made fun of a little bit. Yeah, because it was what from? we. What were the thoughts that you were having? It was actually what we were wanting to do. We wanted to do science communication via social media, which kind of means that you turn into a, a science influencer almost. Um, so it was sort of our, our goal to become that almost. I'm not sure if it's like the right name for it, but it was basically sort of, we weren't there yet for sure because we were still very small and we were growing. And it was, it felt like, our main goal was sort of laughed at almost. And I think that was what, what made it uncomfortable in the moment. But were they laughing? Yes. So they're laughing yes. when they were saying it. Yeah, and the other people around it too. And so they, you made that mean that they thought what you were doing wasn't serious or that... Yeah, I get. I guess that that's how it felt. Yeah. Yeah, not not taken seriously. I guess. Yeah. Okay. So, because this is what's really important with these things. When when you find that somebody asks you a question, it kind of I'm going to use the word triggers. I don't mean triggers mm. and like triggers, but you know what I mean. Um, and it like upsets you or bothers you in some way. Um, asking yourself, what am I making it mean? Because. Yeah. We have no idea. I mean, I certainly have no idea what they meant by it. Mm. Um, but they could mean, are, are you going to be influencers? You know, I watch influencers all the time. That's, you mm. know, that's exciting. That's cool. Um, and when we find ourselves getting offended by these things, it's like, okay, what am I making that mean about me? I'm making that mean that they're not taking me seriously. I'm making that mean that they think I'm going to be selling Amazon products and <laughs> dancing around on tiktok or whatever 
they're making that mean that I should be doing something else or they're making that mean that I'm superficial somehow or, you know, all these like preconceptions we have. And it's not that there's anything wrong with having those thoughts, but recognizing that that stuff is coming from us. Hmm. They've just said words to you. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Your answer could very easily have just been, yeah, we're working on it, but not now. Yeah, in that moment, we didn't didn't feel comfortable enough to say, yeah, yeah, that's what we want to do, you know? (laughs) We were still kind of uncomfortable. Because of things you were telling yourself. Yeah. You know, either that they think you're silly for wanting to do it, or that you think that you're nowhere near doing it, and so Mm. you can't claim that title yet, as it were. So... Yeah, it sort of feels reasons. It feels embarrassing to say that that's your goal if you're definitely not there yet, and it sort of feels still like this unreachable thing that you might want to do, and then you get uncomfortable with people like sort of calling you out like that. <laughs> so, if somebody said, "Are you going to be an academic?" Would you feel equally embarrassed about it and be made fun of and stuff? Well, if they say it in the same way, like, uh, "So you want to be a PI now, huh?" Then I think so, yeah. Because that also feels like this maybe unreachable thing for a lot of people. And I think, yeah, I would feel the same way like that, yeah. So it's not, and this is what's interesting, is you start to dig into it a little bit and you start to figure out what the actual issue is. And you can do this for yourself. You can can sort of just sit and be like, hey, why, why did that bother me? What did I make that mean? Would it have been different if it was this? Would it have been different if it was that? What's interesting here is it sounds that it's less about the fact that they were somehow mocking, influencing, mm. but more about the fact that you maybe felt a little bit impostery, that mm. you weren't, you know, yeah. you know, oh, yeah, I'm nowhere sure. near influential enough to call myself an, inf- an influencer. You know, I'm nowhere near far mm. enough through to say I want to be a PI now or whatever. So, and that's really useful because then you start to figure out, okay, that's why I felt uncomfortable because I feel like I'm quite a long way from that. Yeah. No, Maybe. we would definitely also respond differently if the, if it's the same thing was said now. Now we would be way more comfortable uh, comfortable saying like, yeah, yeah, that's that's what we do, yeah. And uh, why is it different now? Because we feel like we're closer to that goal. We feel we have more right to say it now that we... I guess more confidence yeah. in what we're doing and how long we've been doing it and sort of the results that we've seen from it. Uh, I, I guess something along those lines. So how close do you have to be in order to claim something without embarrassment? Oh. Um. Sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> Someone paying me to do this. Yes. <laughs> I feel like that the moment we started getting sponsors, like, oh, I guess this is really happening. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know. <laughs> Would everyone have the same answer? Don't think I don't no, have no, no, no. I don't have sponsors. Is my podcast proper? Uh, I, mean, yeah. I, don't <laughs> I don't have as many listeners as you guys, but but would you call would yourself you an influencer? It? Would I consider myself an influencer? Science influencer or a... That's a really interesting question because I still think I think I still conceive most of what I do mm-hmm. as teaching and coaching but that's what influencers are though well some of them well you you try to try to put a message out there and try to help other people through what you're creating yeah 
<laughs> so yeah, I think I think I probably wouldn't call myself an influencer yet, but not because I don't feel like I'm there yet, and not because I have any like what that would mean about me. Mm. I'm just not sure that's what I'm aiming to. Mm. I can imagine that, yeah. Probably where I would sit with that. But these are really important questions to ask yourselves. Um, and that question, it sounded a little bit flippant when I said, how how big would you need to be before you can mm. feel comfortable mm. with it? But the reason I ask is because there's no right answer to that. Mm. I could ask a whole bunch of different people who are on that influencer journey, and you'd have people that say, as soon as you put a TikTok up, you are an influencer. <laughs> And other people would say, until you have a million followers, you're not an influencer. Who do you influence? Yeah. And everything in between. And the joy of that is you just get to decide. Mm. Yeah. Confidence doesn't come because of an absolute thing no. that you achieve. It definitely sounds tell that... you guys now, when you get your PhDs, <laughs> you are not going for a day, you're going to feel more confident about yourselves because you're going to be walking around going, check me out, doctor. Yeah. <laughs> And then you're going to start worrying again about all the things that you worry about now. And I know that because partly it's true for me and partly I coach people all the way through to full professor who feel like imposters, who feel too scared to talk to people at conferences. And it's like, you're a professor, like a full, full professor. And you're too scared to talk to people at conferences. And so it's not the milestones that you meet that make you feel confident is the thoughts that you have. Mm. And usually we just allow those thoughts to just pop up. And that once enough stuff's happened, you start to automatically start having thoughts that actually I'm quite good at this, actually, you know, maybe I am an influencer. And for you guys, that seems to have happened quite organically. And it can go like that. But mm. you can also just choose to pick those thoughts earlier mm. and to spend more time on those thoughts. Mm. No, for sure. I, I agree. And I also think like coming back to that original sort of comment about like uh, being influencers and stuff like that, looking back at it, I also think people didn't have like a better term maybe to to sort of say like, okay, oh, are you going to do this? They're, they're, maybe they were just genuinely curious about like, okay, but what's what's your goal? What's What are you planning with this? And sort of the influencer yeah, title was the best thing that they could come up with in that moment. And we just interpreted it maybe the wrong way in that sense. Um, so now I'm also more conscious of when I talk, when we talk to people to also like, okay, maybe they just don't know the right terminology for it, or they don't maybe they most likely don't mean it in the wrong way. It's just, that's the only word they might have at that moment to describe it. Sometimes they might just be taking, making fun of you. Mm. They might be, but you're absolutely right. And this is one of the things we get up in people's heads thinking about what it mm. is that they intend by the thing they're saying. Mm. And we're interpreting the fact they said that and then laugh as they're making fun of you. For me, it's just as plausible that they used a word that they don't really understand what it means and they laughed awkwardly because they're like, I don't really know what an influencer is, but I'm asking you if you are one. Maybe I look stupid. Maybe I've used that phrase wrong. Maybe that's not what they are. I don't know. I just feel a bit uncomfortable, so I'm going to mm. laugh. And so often when we spend time in other people's heads trying to figure out what it was that they meant by the thing, it just... It just gets a mess because you just don't know. Unless somebody tells you what's in their head, you don't know what's in their head. And so spending as little time in other people's heads as possible, being like, well, am I happy with what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. Am I comfortable with this? Yeah, I am. <laughs> okay. Let's stay there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So maybe moving on to the other statement that we also uh, heard throughout our, our science communication journey, 
recently also. Yep. <laughs> what makes you knowledgeable enough to talk about this? Yeah. And this one was also specifically when we decided we wanted to start giving courses. Yes. Um, and honestly, I have, of course, also as a PhD for, uh, student followed courses about science communication. And I think we are knowledgeable enough to talk about this, especially compared to some of the other people. But how do we respond to something like that? So what was the scenario? So who, what type, because how you respond mm. slightly depends on who you're talking to. Oh, in this case, it was uh, another PhD student who I was just talking about. Oh, yeah, we're now also going to start these courses and whatever. Oh, what, what are you going to give courses about? And well, this and this and this and this. And then the question was like, uh, but wh why why do you know why are you knowledgeable enough to talk about this or to teach about this? So the reason I ask is so this person's not commissioning courses from you. No, no. So the first question is, do I need to explain this to them? Because mm. mm. you don't have to explain everything to everyone. True. Mm. Yeah, Sometimes okay. we do, because again, what are you making that mean about you? Is that making you doubt that you know enough? Is that making you go? Oh, maybe I don't. Maybe think people are going to think I'm stupid. Maybe people are going to think we're all like uppity and telling people what to do, and actually we don't know what we're doing. Yeah. So the first thing is, do I actually even need to like explain? Hmm. Because we've learned a lot doing this. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. That was also the answer I gave. Yeah. You know, just a really short. If it's somebody, so thinking through in this environment. I don't need to explain it to another PhD student because I think it'll be cool. Mm. Enough reason, whatever. Now, where you might want to think it through is if you're contacting universities and offering um, these services, then you might want to think, okay, how can we demonstrate our credentials? Yeah, but then, then again, we look at this question with um, without judgment. So instead of how are you knowledgeable enough to do this, meaning oh god they think i'm not knowledgeable enough to do this we take it at face value how am i knowledgeable enough to do this well i've been running a podcast for this long i've got sponsors i've got this many listeners i've got social media with this sort of following i post this often and this is what i've learned and so sometimes if we can just take the judgment out of it and just answer the question for people who actually need to know the answer to the question then suddenly it's not really a scary question anymore. No, and I also think that if it's if it's like a general, like for example, for somebody who really needs to know the answer, I have absolutely no problem like telling it. But it's always almost more difficult to uh, explain to your direct colleagues or your family, which is also a big big one, of course, because there's this extra layer of of stuff. Um, yeah. And I, I definitely recognize that that's where it comes from also. <laughs> oh, families, there's always a whole extra layer of stuff. Yeah. I got the cutest message from one of my sisters yesterday who'd listened to one of my podcasts mm. for the first time yesterday. And she sent me a really lovely voice note to tell me how useful she'd found. She's not an academic, but she was like, even though I'm not an academic and you were talking about that, it's really useful for like normal people like me as well. And and all of this, and she was really and absolutely lovely. And it's like, oh, that's so nice. Um and then she was like, and I particularly loved your silly podcast voice you put on. And I'm just like, <laughs> it's not on. I'm just enthusiastic. <laughs> so, yeah, there's always stuff with families. I think that's fair to say. Yes. Um, 
But then again, and again, that's not a problem. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not something broken that we bring stuff. Where there's long histories of how we've interacted for our whole lives, of course there's going to be stuff. That's mm. fine. We just have to recognize that so that when it comes up, we can respond to what's actually being asked rather than to all the subtext that we're mm. sort of sticking around it. Mm. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I specifically like your your answer about like, do I actually need to to explain this to this person? Yeah, yeah, definitely gonna remember that to use that <laughs> a bit more. And it's not. I'm certainly not suggesting you answer by saying I don't need to explain myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's probably not the vibe we're gonna. I mean, you might need to in certain situations during my PhD defense. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think you kind of got to explain yourself to that. <laughs> in your PhD defense, it's if you can interpret those questions mm. in a way where they just want to know the answer to this, mm. you know, because often people get asked, you know, why did you choose that method? That's a perfectly reasonable question to ask in a PhD viva. Absolutely fine. Mm. Um, but if in your head you're going, oh, my God, they think I chose the wrong mm. method. They think I should have done something different. Maybe maybe I didn't do it very well. Maybe I, you know, and you spin off into that. Suddenly it's a really painful experience. Whereas if they say, you know, why did you choose this method? You say, oh, because I was picking between this one and this one. And this mm. had these qualities. And that was what we were able to do. So I did that one. Um, you sort of almost take that question at face value. The other thing I would always say especially with this thing of do I know enough? Because you guys are talking about that in the context of your courses, but I'm sure that's often the case when people are starting podcasts and things as well. You know, do I know enough to talk about this in public? Um, is remembering that you only need to know more than your audience. Mm. So you only need to know more the, about being productive in your PhD or whatever than people who are behind you in your PhD journey. So as long as you know more than third years or second years, or at least some third years and second years and first years, not even all of them, some of them, then what you're doing is of use. Yeah, often people think that they need to be leading expert in the thing in order to be useful. But actually, there's something really special about hearing from people who are only a few years ahead of where you're at. You know, I can tell people about how I managed my PhD and how I got by and whatever, but I got by in a completely different world and era to you guys. You know, academia was a very different place in the early 2000s. And so the things that I did and got through aren't necessarily relevant. So now when I'm coaching, partly I steer away from advice, but also I tend to refer more to the students that I've supported through and things I've seen there than I do to my experience. because. It's it's too it's too long ago. It's too mm. far away. So that thing of are you just a bit more knowledgeable than somebody else who might want to hear this? Yeah, happy days. Let's go. Yes, no, for sure. I think in terms of science communication, it can also be really helpful to take people along on the journey, mm. which is also a great way to to do it. Definitely, definitely, mm. and for them to see someone who looks like them and sounds like them doing it too. Yeah, that helps too. Yeah, and I mean, I also think it's along the lines of. If if you need to prove that you're when it comes to starting a podcast on the like your production is on the level of Joe Rogan or any other of these like million download podcasts to be able to talk about it at all, no one is ever gonna start a podcast like that. No one is ever gonna do anything because you constantly need to prove that you're already in the top one percent 
to be able to start it. So I think if you can, if you're happy starting sort of at the bottom and learning to get to the top, then that can take you a long way. Definitely. And on a really practical one, go back to the beginning and listen to their first episode. Oh, no, no, don't do that. No. <laughs> I mean, not Joe Rogan. I'm not saying him. But some of the podcasts that I listened to where I was trying to learn from them and stuff, and mm. I went back and listened to the very first one. It's like, this is rough. <laughs> oh, yes. Your microphone's terrible. Your little intro doesn't sound that good. This is, you know, it's like, it's horrible. I'm not sure I can do what you guys are doing now, but I can definitely do mm. this. <laughs> Also, listening back to our our own first episodes is not something we like to do. No. <laughs> Mine, I just tried to grab everything. I love my first episode, mm-hmm. but it's got enough stuff in it for like 10 episodes. Mm-hmm. I do a whole two-hour course now based on that one first podcast. <laughs> and even that doesn't cover everything that I covered in that. It's like, right, let's go. <laughs> so yeah, you learn as you go through for sure. Yes. So we also uh, had perhaps some things that we might want some tips for. Um, So, for example, how do you communicate with people uh, or colleagues or family uh, that you are really enthusiastic about, in this case, science communication, without seeming overconfident or boastful? How How would you handle that? Because that's, of course, a kind of delicate balance that's also very much to do with how you do yourself but (laughs) yeah definitely and I mean I guess as always first question is what would be the problem Mm. with feeling like you were being overconfident or both so I would spend a little bit of time just exploring what judgments you're making Mm. about what it would mean if you were overconfident or boastful um because some people think that it will make other people around them uncomfortable or that it would mean that they're a selfish person or that they've got an inflated ego or whatever it is. And you can really ask yourself, is that true? You know, can I talk enthusiastically about all this stuff without it meaning those things? In terms of actual tips, though, for how to do it, one of the things that I do, I work with um academics who are going for promotion and going for like teaching awards and those sorts of things. I have a package where I look after them through that process. And people often don't want to come across like they're blowing their own trumpet too much. They're they're boasting too much. Um, But they have got to talk about their achievements. And one of the really concrete tips that I give them is to really focus on facts. So to really focus on evidence and impact of what they've done rather than so rather than just talking about how wonderful they are. So for you guys, if you say if you're going, I have an amazing podcast, we have so many followers, we're just so influential, it's incredible, everybody loves us, then that might feel a bit overconfident and boastful. But if you can say we typically have X thousand listeners a month um, and that's you know, that's doubled after the over the last six months. And now we have sponsors for most episodes. You know, you start to just impart statements, then it sort of conveys how big and amazing what you're doing is without saying, look at us, we're big and amazing. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and the same is true when you're talking about your science, talking about, you know, you can talk about um where you've presented it, where you're writing it up for. Um, 
what it's gone on and influenced and all those sorts of things. You can kind of talk about why it's important, how many people are affected by diabetes, how many people are affected by high cholesterol, why this is so important to understand. And sort of getting into that side of it can really help to be enthusiastic, but without it being, this is all about me because I'm amazing kind of thing. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think the the issue sometimes, at least what I often have is um, I like to rely on the metrics just yeah, here's the number, but a lot of the, a lot of the time those metrics require some some sort of understanding about these numbers to begin with. You can't just like we have X thousand uh, downloads, and then the immediate next question often becomes is is that good though? Is that a lot? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Are you doing well? Um, so it's all it's all, I struggle often to to explain like yeah, I guess it's okay because also also for podcasts it's unclear what is a successful podcast. When are you sort of doing okay as a podcast? Um, at a certain point, we came across a metric that said, like, if you have over eight episodes and you're being consistent, that's you're already a very good podcast. That's most podcasts don't go over eight episodes uh, and they sort of stop. So, yeah, I struggle with with giving some context to some of the the numbers and making it mm -hmm. concise without it sort of seeming like here's my entire backstory from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no. And again. It's that whole thing of you don't have to over-explain. So conveying, why are you conveying any of this mm. anyway? Um, but you can then choose. you And you can convey it either giving some sort of benchmark for mm. them to understand. So, you know, you pick, you know, to put that in context, mm. that puts us in. Did you guys say the top 1% of life sciences podcasts in the Netherlands? That's what Spotify like that. told us. We don't believe it, but that's what Spotify told us. I... <laughs> I mean, take Spotify. I would say what they say. So, so that's a way to say it. That's a way that you can contextualize it. You can say, you know, tell you know, podcasts, whatever. You know, the top podcasts usually have X number of listeners. We're about here, so you can see mm. where we are compared to that. Mm. But that's pretty typical for a life sciences podcast, for example. You know, you mm. can contextualize like that, or you can contextualize against your own benchmarks. Mm. So you can say when we set out. We aim to have 500 listeners a month, and now we're way over that. Um, and so you can sort of contextualize to your own goals as well. Mm. That's another way that you can sort of show people that you've surpassed your expectations. Or you can talk about your future goals. So we started here. We've got to here. We're aiming to get to 10,000 listeners a month, whatever. I don't know your numbers, but you know what I mean. Mm. And, okay. you know, and so you can contextualize like that so they can see where you are in your journey as well. Okay. The other yeah. way, as you think about it, is the other way is, you know, always call it you guys are bench scientists, but qualitative data is a thing too. <laughs> um, I love telling people about the messages that I get. Mm. So, you know, I don't have billions of listeners to my podcast at the moment. I'm trying to build it. Um, but I do get people messaging me saying, I feel like you're inside my brain. Mm. I, you know, <laughs> when you talk, I feel normal. Because I'm like, oh, my God, it's not just me that feels like this. And I can see that there's a way I can feel different. And for me, that feels much more important than how many hundreds or thousands of listens I get. Mm -hmm. um, because I get messages like that from people. So that's the other thing you can say to people is, you know, oh, we get this many listeners. But to be honest, it's when somebody says that, you know, we've told them about a bit of science that they just never heard before. And now they want to learn more or whatever. That's what's really important to us. Yeah, really have that sort of direct impact on someone. Uh... Yeah. I like that too. <laughs> yes. 
Okay. Um, maybe moving on to our next thing that we would really like a tip on. Um, and this is a big one. Do you have any recommendations for how to sort of keep your work-life balance uh, through, through everything that you do, we do, stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. I just did a workshop on this for a yep. charity in the UK. Um, so first of all, you need to define what you mean by a mm. work-life balance because that balance sits somewhere very different mm. for everybody. Um, and so I don't particularly like the phrase because I don't particularly like the dichotomy between work and life. Mm. Um, I think, you know, I'm the PhD life coach because I think you get to curate your whole life, mm -hmm. part of which is your PhD, part of which is everything else that you do. Um, and in fact, by the time this goes out, I've had an episode now um, with Jamie Pay, the, mm -hmm. um, the messy PhD coach, talking about how to curate your PhD life. And so I would think about it not so much about work-life balance as about what do I want my life to be? Um, what would a an ideal life for the phase I'm in look like? So this is not the ideal life if you had a million, you know, when you're famous influencers and have got billions of pounds and sponsorship deals all over the place, what your perfect life on an island somewhere looks like. But in the phase you're in where you're writing up your PhDs, you're running a successful podcast and trying to look after your health and have social life and whatever outside of that what would you want that to look like? And actually spending a bit of time on that, because until you've decided that, you can't decide whether you've got a work-life balance or not. So figure out what it looks like. And then I would really ask yourself, what are the barriers to that being your life at the moment? And sometimes that can lead to things where you realize, actually, this circumstance needs to change. I need to do I need to extend my PhD or I need to pause the podcast for now or I need to do less of this or more of this or whatever. Sometimes it's that. But often, again, it's the thoughts that you're having. So often the problems with work-life balance come because at the end of the day, when you've been working, you tell yourself you haven't achieved enough today. You tell yourself you should have done more. You tell yourself you're behind. You tell yourself you should be somewhere other than where you're at. And the problem with that is it just generates anxiety, it generates shame, and those emotions don't lead you to having a good work-life balance or to even being successful in your work. They lead to you procrastinating, they lead to you getting distracted from things, they lead to you spending time doing things that contribute to neither your work nor your life, uh, you know, just wasting time distracting yourself from how you're feeling. And so... What I do with clients is sort of work through what some of those thoughts are. You guys can tell me which ones come up for you, maybe. What some of those thoughts are that make you work longer than you intended to or work less than you intended to. Um, so which way round for you guys? What, what way round would be your, um, your sort of issues with work-life balance, do you think? Well, honestly, when I was still in the lab for the PhD, uh, I felt like we had our work-life balance pretty much figured out because we were during the day in the lab working on that and then in the evening and the weekend we we're doing this fun thing that is the podcast. Uh, but now recently when I am more at home writing uh, and uh, also the podcast is taking off, we're getting sponsors that require a lot of work because I mean they pay money but they also want a lot back. But it felt like it was all one big blob of just a to-do list that was never ending. 
so I've been working on trying to make it a bit separate again and and I bought myself a switch <laughs> <laughs> to have some fun time uh, in the middle um that that what I've been struggling with recently in terms of work life balance um so that thought this is never ending mm. is one to really watch yeah there's it first thing we do is we stop and think what's it trying to tell me and I love the fact that you're already starting to think yeah what it's trying to tell me is these things are all blurring into one that I'm not seeing a distinction between the different things now everything feels like work and everything feels so sometimes our our sort of worry thoughts are actually giving us information that we Mm. need to listen to and that's why we don't just try and push negative thoughts away we stop and go oh that's interesting I'm feeling like this is never ending a lot why is that? What is it that's happening here that's making me feel like that? Okay. And so the things that you've started doing to try and make things more distinct, build in some um, relaxing time and stuff as well. Absolutely brilliant. What I would caution you to keep an eye out for is these thoughts are habitual. And so once you've put in place some more sort of boundaries where actually I don't work on this then, and I always have a gap here and those things that you're working on at the moment, You're now going to need to look out for your brain still throwing up. This is never ending because it will, because Mm. that's a thought that's been coming for a while. So even in your new scenario, your brain may still offer you that. And at that point, you get to go, yeah, yeah, I know. But remember, that's why we decided to X. You sort of reassure like a child. Yeah, I know. But (laughs) we've talked about this. (laughs) And that's why we only do podcasts on Wednesday and Thursday now or whatever. Um, so you sort of, that thought that thought will come back up and it's not a problem, it's just a habit. And you just get to nudge it away and remind yourself of the things you're doing to make it not feel never ending now as well. Mm. And that's the bit people often miss. They try and put in place something to make it better and then get upset when it doesn't really fix it. We have to work on the thoughts that come with it as well. How about you, Jaron? What's your, is it similar sorts of things or do you have other thoughts that make work-life balance hard? Uh, a little, so, some of the same, but also a little bit different now. So I'm sort of in the last stages, I've sort of su- submitted my uh, my thesis and I need to get it printed now and I have my defense date. Um, mm-hmm. But I have more of a problem with like, I don't know if you're familiar with like the you have a, a jar and you have like big rocks, small rocks and some sand. Oh, yes. That, yeah. one, that sort of analogy. Uh, I know I have to sort of put in the big rocks first and do those difficult tasks for the PhD uh, to get it wrapped up. Yet I'm sort of focusing on sort of the smaller things because I, like, OK, I can scratch that off my to do list first and do do that first. And then by the end of the day, I always feel like, but I didn't do those big, important things. OK, tomorrow then. And uh, I'll skip my running and then do it. But then, yeah. Firstly, so common. Why do you think you do go? I mean, you've started talking about why do you think you do go for the the small things? It's just that it's sort of easier to scratch it off, like to get that immediate sort of dopamine of one thing is off your to-do list. Yeah, it's easier, I guess. Yeah. And again, so common. So, and again, we tend to beat ourselves up for this. We tend to finish the day going, oh my God, I did all the easy things and I should have done the big things and Mm. I'm never going to get this done. So firstly, totally common totally normal but what we do is we get we get some data from that we look at what you've done okay you like being able to scratch small things off you find it easier if you can um, feel a sense of accomplishment 
that you've ticked things off. Okay. Well, your big jobs, you're at the moment telling yourself they're the important and difficult jobs. Of course, you're not going to sit down and go, do you know what I want to do today? I want to do the important and difficult jobs. (laughs) I really like important and difficult jobs. Of course not. But how can you break those down into sufficiently tiny steps Mm. that actually those rocks become sand? Because you haven't got to do an important and difficult job. You've got to do a series Mm. of small jobs. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, you know, break it down into small tasks is a really trite bit of advice. Um, But believing that your big task actually is just a series of small tasks, okay, can really, really help. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm now trying to apply that a little bit more uh, in the sense of I break it down. um, So for the thesis, like, okay, contact the printer, have a meeting with my supervisor, all those things by themselves. Obviously, they're tasks, but they're much more doable than I need to have my almost 150-page thesis printed out by have my suit ready and everything. Yeah, they're a bit easier. <laughs> Definitely. And that's often where the problem comes. So I had this, you know, we're talking about podcasts. Mm-hmm. I had this when I was first doing a podcast. Mm-hmm. Because I published this on, I do the video version on YouTube and I have a podcast version and then I put the transcript on my blog. There's sort of multiple steps. You know, mm-hmm. I'm using like five different bits of software. There's um, there's multiple steps to what order you edit in and what how you put your intro and outro on mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And it always felt like this big job of process podcast. And I'd procrastinate it horribly until it was right at the very last minute before I would do it. And then eventually I was like, I put myself in boss mode and I was like, right, what do I actually have to do? And I literally wrote down, and I think it was like 19 steps or something like that. And even just having it spelled out like that made it feel so much easier. And for a while, I used to have these little little tiny see-through post-it notes that I could move down as I was on the different steps. Now I know it well enough that I can just do it. But that really helped to do that. And so sometimes when we've got a big task we're avoiding, it's because we haven't actually spelled out specifically what do i need to do to get this done you know people write write introduction on their to-do list they know don't write write introduction say write paragraph on blah using evidence from that paper that paper and that paper and put them in a folder so you get to put yourself in boss mode and make really specific instructions for work at you Mm. okay in the next hour i need you to write about 200 words that summarizes those two articles and does that. You've done yours, Jaron. Look to you now, Susanna. <laughs> um, and that's your task for the next hour. So you try and be the best boss to yourself that mm. you can by making it as specific and achievable as you can. And then it's all small things. Yeah. Thanks. Yes. I think in terms of what we're doing, we have also also prioritized always that this needed to stay fun. Uh, and if it wasn't fun anymore, then we were doing too much. <laughs> uh, especially like doing this next to the PhD, it had to stay something that we kept getting energy from. And that's something that as soon as that that changes or it becomes a drag to make a podcast episode every time and it becomes difficult, we are really like, okay, stop. Back to like what we find fun <laughs> and how we want to do this. And um, that, that has been really important in keeping this up. and keeping it going 
I love that. And I particularly love that you're not just taking it as, oh, at some point it will stop being fun and then we stop. But that if you notice it's starting to get not fun, you actively go, okay, we need to retreat to the bits we find fun. Let's do the fun bits. This was meant to be fun. Because even that, finding it fun, is that's constructed by thoughts in your head. Mm. So you get to decide it's fun and you get to decide the bit to do more of the bits that you find fun. Mm. And so I love that you're kind of not only reminding yourself of that, but also constructing that for yourself. That's that's perfect. Yeah, because it can definitely be very, very hard to, even if you have your PhD defense, there still needs to be an episode that comes out. And even if you're writing a paper and you're in the, in, in like writing with your supervisor until three in the morning, you still need to get the episode also. You know, it, it's a lot, but um, as long as it it's is. fun. But you can also look at how can I be kind to future me? Mm-hmm. So if you've got your um, your defense coming up, Jaren, you can look ahead and decide, okay, actually, mm. could we get an extra episode done early so mm. that we don't have to do one the week you've got your defense? Yeah. Um, you know, Are there things like that? Could you do a special episode where Susanna does it with somebody else so that you get that one off or something mm. like that? You know, you can look ahead and go, how can I be kind to future me and make this easier? So one of the things we're doing this now, I'm plotting this in so that I don't have to work during Easter week. Mm. Um, this will come out just after that. So when you're listening to this, that's when it will be. Um and that's part of me being kind to myself so that during that week I'm not going, oh no, and I still need to sort of podcast for next week it'll already be mm. in the can as they say and processed and scheduled and everything ready to go so you can sort of if you know that this is meant to be fun you can start planning ahead and think how can we make sure it stays fun yeah yeah and it, it's definitely one of the main reasons people stop and it's a, it's a shame <laughs> we try to be super super conscious of it <laughs> <laughs> okay i think that was our last our last question to you well, thank you so much, Vicky. Uh, it was really great to have you in our podcast. Uh, and of course, to the crossover in your podcast as well. Uh, if people would like to find you and follow you, of course, listen also to your podcast. Where can they do so and where can they find you? Perfect. So I am the PhD Life Coach. So my podcast is the PhD Life Coach. My website is phdlifecoach.com. Um, you can find out about the workshops I do for universities and for the membership that your university can buy into as well. On Twitter, I'm Dr. Vicky Burns, so D-R-V-I-K-K-I, Burns, B-U-R-N-S. But if you search the PhD Life Coach, then I come up anyway. So you can follow me there too. Great. Um, If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to leave us a like on your favorite podcast platform of choice. Um, And that really helps our podcast grow and would make us very happy, of course. Uh, if our listeners have any questions, suggestions, or comments, you can research via our website, thestrongingscientist.com. And you can also check our website for some really cool science-inspired merch. And of course, to sign up for the awesome Journal of the Struggling Scientist, also uh, known as our newsletter. And you can follow us on social media. Jalen, which one are those again? Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And also a little bit on Pinterest. Yes, we also have our podcast on YouTube. It's not video content, but uh, we do have it there, so you can also look us up. Thank you so much for listening and we hope to see you again next time. Bye. Bye.